0: Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and today I'm joined by Mark Lesser. Mark is a speaker, facilitator, workshop leader, and executive coach. He's known for his engaging experiential presentations that integrate mindfulness and emotional intelligence practices and training. Mark is the author of four books, including Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google, and the Zen Monastery Kitchen. Mark was the co-founder and CEO of the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, featuring a mindfulness program he helped develop within Google. Mark founded and was CEO of three companies and has an MBA degree from New York University. Prior to his business and coaching career, he was a resident of the San Francisco Zen Center for 10 years and director of Tassajara, Zen Mountain Center, the very first Zen monastery in the Western world. Welcome to the Meta Hour, Mark. Thank you, Sharon.
1: What a you know, we, we don't get to hang out enough, so I'm glad we could use this as an example. I know it's fabulous.
0: It's like it's <laughs> kinda like when you meet someone in you know, India or something, and you say, Well we never get to see each other in New York, but here we are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. So um I'm now I'm trying to trace the course of your life. You went to NYU, got an MBA degree, yeah, NYU, yeah, New York. I uh, got an MBA no, degree. No, no, no.
1: So my, my 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 Zen training was before it that. It was
0: before that. Oh, tell me. Where was it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I I was um I was an undergraduate at Rutgers and took a a one-year leave of absence and went to uh, San Francisco and uh found out shortly after that about the San Francisco Zen Center. Um, wandered in. And stayed for ten wow. years. Wow. Um, and and um, many surprising things happened during that time. But one one was that I, I kept I kept getting asked to take on different kind of management and leadership roles at the Zen Center, and I was always a little perplexed by that. Uh, but but then. You know, I think, f- especially at the, the last my, my ninth and tenth years, when I was um, running the you know head cook in the kitchen mm-hmm. at Tasahara and then director, I I thought I really I'm I'm liking this this leadership stuff, and and why isn't everyone integrating you know contemplative practice, mindfulness practice with work and leadership? So I went from there
0: to NYU. Oh, that's school. so interesting. I just made a very big assumption that it was the other way around.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's the more, more conventional way. I think that people
0: yeah. do it. <laughs> I don't know. That's fascinating. Cause I, I really relate to that having, you know, I went to India when I was 18, when I was a junior in college, I came back um, briefly and uh, finished school and went back to India. came back in 1974 as a teacher and began uh, teaching uh, after my own teachers had told me to teach, and and then in 1976 we helped establish the Insight Meditation Society in Barre, Massachusetts, which is still there and flourishing. And um, and that was another world, you know. Suddenly it was like people. I remember we have these board meetings, and uh, Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein and I would be there, and there was always somebody who said, you know, you're not. Um, you know you're not budgeting correctly you have to, you have to think about you know roofs leaking and and things like that and we'd say really you know like <laughs> oh right that's different and right. everybody needs health insurance oh really and uh you know it was like another world and and it was fascinating for me um uh, in some funny way i love business and and uh just the way of trying to figure out how a value-based organization can flourish Mm -hmm. and even survive in in this Mm -hmm. world. So I, I really understand what you're saying.
1: Mm Yeah. Yeah. No, that, um, again, I, I, I I'm still a little surprised in that, you know, when I, when I was an undergraduate at, At Rutgers I wouldn't have associated with people who were business majors there was something you know kind of bad about business and then um (laughs) and it's funny the other day I was um I I did a I, I lectured at Green Gulch and and during the question and answer someone raised their hand and said isn't like how could I be in the business world isn't isn't it like so unethical and aren't people just you know don't people just regularly um you know not tell the truth and I was like no oh, that's such a such an interesting it's that that business has such mm-hmm, a bad mm-hmm. reputation that 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 i've my experience is that it's pretty much at least m- my experience is that it's mostly people uh trying to do their best uh trying to you know be as moral and ethical c- connected as they as they can. Uh, and that um, I, I I actually think there's something, and I think this is partly maybe what you were saying, uh, is that there's something about that energy in the business world that actually can offer something to people who are in the mindfulness world or in the contemplative world.
0: Well, in, in so many ways, it's like any manifestation. It's where the rubber meets the road, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. how are you going to structure things? How are you going to treat people who work there? How are you going to um, present yourself to the world at large in a way that's commensurate with your deepest values, and part of the problem, right, of course, right. with our experience of business or capitalism um is that uh you know for many organizations, many companies, there's a singular sense of responsibility it seems, which is to please um shareholders you know mm-hmm. and right. and right. it is not necessarily the case that the entity the business has a sense of responsibility toward employees toward the environment toward the community but mm-hmm. uh there's no reason it can't
1: right right yeah and that's the beauty of the creation of the b corp right to actually create a a legal a legal entity to change the the bylaws and articles of incorporation that that so drove that mindset that you're referring to that mindset of that the only priority was maximizing uh shareholder wealth and and then to create a different a different structure um so i think that's and i th- i think there's a boy for many many uh whether it's um you know the the way that we've treated the environment and Climate change, and and I see it in I think especially in, in millennials and young people the the need to align and integrate around work and business and money with with val- with values with taking care of people and uh, there's still a long way to go but I see that um, I see that happening in a, a very profound profound ways.
0: Well, we we're wondering if there was going to be anything controversial that we we're going to find between us. But I mean, um, you must know that there's, you know, a fair amount of controversy about bringing mindfulness practices into businesses, into companies. Um, I personally, you know, to the extent that I've done it, um, as I sometimes say, I've never been approached by somebody wanting to learn the practice. Um, who says to me, I'd like to be more of a soulless automaton, you know, and be more productive. Right, I actually right. don't even like the word produ- productivity or, um, I you know, I wrote a book called Real Happiness at Work and and the publisher proposed it as part of the subtitle. And I said, no, you know, I'm not about productivity. Um, <laughs> right, right. But, uh, you know, instead in, in businesses, people are people, you know, and they yeah, talk about yeah, yeah. their alcoholic brother or the trouble they have with their teenager or the fact that they feel, you know, they haven't slept in a very long time or they don't have how to find any balance or um, their unfair standards, you know, and, and uh, that's the stress, that's the source of the suffering or the pain that people want to address. How much uh, systemic change happens, you know, from people... Gathering these tools is is a different question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I'm certainly very familiar with some of the controversy there, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think that um, businesses bring in you know mindfulness and contemplative practices for for many mm-hmm. motivations. Just like I think, I think any individual practices. With with a variety of of motivations, but I've what I keep finding is you know, and I find myself in places like Google or SAP or um, within big medical systems like like Kaiser, and and I think I think there there very much is a fundamental uh, desire to uh, to 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 find real um, connection freedom, waking up, uh, all of the same things that I think attract people to meditation mm-hmm. places. I think that, that, that I, I think it's kind of amazing, I think, that access and doors that are being opened to people to be able to practice who might never step into a more uh, conventional practice center are finding out they're being introduced to practice in, in the workplace. Um, you know, dis, despite you know may, maybe maybe the motivation of the, the the people that that brought brought us in was around as you were saying maybe it was a, you know how can we increase productivity but no, more more what I find like in in Google uh, mindfulness is a core part of their well being mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. and again it's it's easy to be cynical right being cynical is very easy uh, but I think there's I think there really is a um, a question about how can we take how can we take care of our mm-hmm. employees how can we we don't want our employees to be um having negative reactions to to stress we want we we actually care about their uh their well-being their physical mental spiritual health and mindfulness seems to be something that uh a uh, very uh, practical and accessible way to do that
0: I think, and I'm sure you can tell, you know, um, uh, having had so much experience, you know, that when you're brought in by an HR department that's um, kind of uh, distant from the employees and doesn't really understand where they're at or even worse when it's like an enforced activity. And um, I can remember going into a company and, I think everybody in that room was sitting with their arms crossed against their chest. And they didn't look that happy to be there. And I said, Do you have to like make up this time? Do you have to work later? And they all nodded their heads, you know? And I thought, Oh, I'll talk right, fast, right. you know? Um, or another time, you know, with yeah. another company where they said, You've got 15 minutes with each group. And I said, I can't do it in 15 minutes. And they said, But they've got to work. And I said, Well, you know, can I have half an hour? <laughs> like, um, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious when the the motivation is really askew. Yes, yes.
1: No, I've I've experienced some of that as well. But on the other end of the spectrum, I think about um, you know, even to to refer back to uh, to Google, where I have spent quite a bit of time. The program was always completely voluntary uh, always it was just you you ha- in fact it became somewhat competitive to get mm-hmm. into the program mm-hmm. which is and it and in fact there i was just at google and um there's a a pretty substantial waiting list for people wanting to take and it's and it's a 2-day program so it's like two again that's not a lot of time but it's not 15 minutes it's like stepping out of the your work life for for Two two days, and then there's another, you know, four week or eight week kind of follow up of doing doing daily daily practices. Um, so, I think there are there are more and more workplaces that um, are taking this stuff a lot more seriously and are um, seeing that uh, it can really be important to um, to take to take the to take the time.
0: So you've written several books, and I'm curious about what's inspired this most recent book on the topic of leadership.
1: Yeah, well, you know, most of the books I've written have have been about this kind of integration, I think, of of uh, of practice and work. And partly, you know, this latest book, uh, I've been reflecting a lot on how valuable and surprising. Um, my time was working and leading um, in a Zen monastery kitchen in the years mm-hmm. that I spent, uh, you know, at at Tasahara. and that was always that was always um, it's an interesting thing I think, especially you know many many contemplative practices, but Zen Zen in particular I think really emphasizes you know work as practice, and even going back to you know the a, a a piece of writing that Dogen, right, the founder of Zen in Japan in the 13th century, who wrote a piece called "Instructions to the Head Cook," mm. in which he, in which he, you know, this is, you know, people think that this, oh, this is a new idea, this idea of bringing, bringing mindfulness practice into the workplace. Well, no, this was, um, you know, uh, 800 years ago. Dogen wrote this beautiful piece in which, and one of the things he said. Is that um, the the head cook should always practice with three minds: with joyful mind, grandmother mm. mind, and and wise mind. Uh, and that and that to this day, those those uh, the the symbols and words for those three minds are on the uh, on the altar in the center of the Tassahara kitchen, and and there's off, often kind of talked about and. And I, I feel, you know, in, in the work that I do these days, and this is part of, I think, what um, part of my own motivation to write my latest book was seeing that I was very consciously asking myself, you know, how can I, how can I bring the experience that I got of the, the, the experience of working in a Zen monastery kitchen into, into the corporate world? And I felt like that was the, that was almost like the, the request that I was feeling was that bring, um, how can we make mindfulness practice, uh, accessible to people in the work world without sacrificing the depth of it? We really want it in a, in a more uh, in-depth way. So that was, um, that was my motivation and, 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 and really specifically, you know, these, um, uh, these particular seven practices that I write about in this book, they, they actually came from working with a, as I was working to train some uh, Google employees, uh, mostly engineers, on, on how to be mindfulness teachers. And I brought my friend, uh, uh, Zen teacher Norman mm-hmm. Fisher in, uh, and he, Norman, kind of spontaneously Kind of came up with these uh, these particular seven practices
0: well before we get into the seven, can you tell us what grandmother mind is <laughs>
1: sure i I
0: think grandmother mind is
1: the mind of unconditional mm-hmm. love right going back it all it all goes back to your book mm-hmm. too Sharon um, right but this was um yeah that that you would bring in the mind of love and and I think um Dogen in this essay unpacks it as as you know kind of taking care, loving every grain of rice, mm. you know, loving the food, loving the 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 knives and implements, as well as of course loving the people that you're that you're working with in the kitchen.
0: So do you see those three have they become the seven?
1: Um, you know, in some in some way I feel like there's certainly uh, integrated you know the seven are the seven starts with love the Mm. work uh, and then do the work and don't be an expert and connect to your pain connect to the pain of others depend on others and keep making it simpler Uh, so lots of overlap i think between the three and the seven
0: i love the seven that's really great
1: they 're good you know I, you know it, it's funny part of the story on those is that um, it, it was I, I think when i brought when I brought Norman in to address this group of uh, employees, I think it wasn't clear exactly what Norman was going to do and and um, and there was on, on an agenda that i don 't even know who created it, but it said you know Norman gives talk about bringing mindfulness in, into the world of work. And, and I pointed, I, I kind of showed Norman, I was sitting next to him at, at this meeting at Google and um, and Norman very nonchalantly got out of, as Norman tends to do, a piece of paper and a pen and he made some notes and proceeded to to uh, talk very eloquently about each of these seven practices as the core you know, important practices that, that you need to know as a mindfulness teacher. But when I heard these, I, I thought, these are, I loved them. I loved them as soon as I heard them. And I, I actually wrote them down and put them on everyone's desk who was working at the, or, this organization, the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute that at the time I was the CEO of. And, and I put them on everyone's desk. We had about maybe I don't know 18 or 20 employees at the time. And then little by little, I started writing about them and teaching, uh, teaching about these seven practices. And, and it was probably a couple of years into it that I, I, I started feeling funny about it and thought, I need to, I need to talk to Norman and get Norman's okay. Yeah. I think a book is emerging here. And I, I called Norman one day and, and um, mentioned that I was interested in seeing if he felt okay. About me writing a book about these seven practices that he spoke about at Google, and of course Norman paused and said, "What seven practices? I have no <laughs> idea what you're <I'm>
0: talking." <laughs> Can you repeat the seven and, just for a moment Because I love them so much. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which I which I repeated uh, to Norman on that phone call. Uh, love the work. Do the work. Don't be an expert. Connect to your pain connect to the pain of others, depend on others and keep making it simpler. And, and when I read them to Norman on that phone call, he said, those are pretty good. Yeah, um, They're great. And, and, and good, and, and good luck, good luck with your book and, and please do send me a copy. And so that's, um, it's funny. And then um, Norman and I actually were teaching together at Green Gulch just a couple of days ago. And, kind of weaving in these practices and as well as Norman, Norman has a new book out about uh, imagination and the Bodhisattva path. So, you know, kind of felt almost full circle Mm -hmm. spending the day co-teaching together.
0: But that's real generosity too, rather than saying, Hey, those are great. Give them back to me. (laughs) they mine.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was completely, I, 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 uh Norman and I have been very, very close and we teach together. We've been teaching together out of Green Gulch. We do a we do a um these one day workshops called Company Time, which are kind of this uh retreats for business people that we've been doing I think since nineteen ninety five now.
0: I'm wondering if when you go into a company um well you obviously use the word love because you start with love the work. But do you use concepts openly, like love or compassion?
1: Totally, you no. Know, totally, I, I. It might. Um, I. I might. Um, I might not start there, mm-hmm. in, in, depending on the corporate setting. But I think um, I definitely start with um, getting people to just be quiet and getting people to listen to their voices and I might, I might have people like in a, if I were doing a, starting with a, a a guided meditation, I might ask people to check in with their own Mm -hmm. hearts and ask people to check in with what they love. And, and then I, I often like to do, um, you know, have people practice listening and a great place to start is to ask people to have a conversation. What do you love about your work? Uh, what do you love about your life and what are some of your biggest challenges? What are you, what are, what are you grappling with? And and I think those are great starting places for teaching mindfulness in the business world.
0: What do you think since, you know, you're, you're using the, um, the mechanism of talking about leadership, what do you think our general cultural concept is of leadership and how accurate is it?
1: Hmm. hmm. that's a great question you know i think um I think in our culture, leadership has uh you know there's a lot of i think cynicism and negative connotations that go with leadership um you know and, and it's complicated like people like i it makes that question makes me think of um you know often. I'm I'm teaching, you know, mindfulness and emotional intelligence mm-hmm. in the business world, and and uh, one of the questions I get asked most often is, well, what about Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. right? That that he's an example of someone I think who uh, people think of on the one hand, incredibly, you know, dedicated, cre- creative, like masterfully creative, right? Change the world, right? Here I am talking. Mm-hmm. I'm talking on, a, on an iPhone right now, which is kind of a, you know, a miraculous invention of, I think of Steve Jobs and the a, and a whole team of people creation. Um, on the other hand, he was known as being a really difficult person, you know, that had a, had a real shadow side. Uh, and, um, and, and I, I I would often answer that question just by saying that that I think he had some incredible uh, incredibly great leadership qualities and he had a real shadow side and, and I think a lot of people were uh, a lot of people were hurt uh, by by his leadership style which uh, that he that I think despite despite how difficult he was as a person he he managed to uh, rally rally. Get people to rally around creating something, and I, I would ask the question I wonder, I wonder what what other great things might have happened if he were even a a more integrated and aligned leader. But you know these you know these humans are complicated. People are 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 complicated. I think now um, I think there is uh, more and more interest and need in what I think of as um, integrated leadership, of people people integrating things like love and compassion uh, in with the ability to uh, inspire others, the ability to have the kind of, kind of creative mind that uh, Steve Jobs had. Um, yeah, and it's kind of, um, I have to say, uh, I, I did an interview the other day on these seven practices. It was a short radio mm-hmm. interview. And, and, and at the end, uh, the, uh, the person interviewing me said, can I ask you a personal question? And I said, sure. And he said, how does it make you feel that our, our president seems to exhibit the exact opposite of all seven mm-hmm. practices that you've just talked about? And um, and I said it kind of breaks my heart, actually, that, that we're not seeing the, you know, at very high levels, especially, especially in government. And I think in, in, you know, we see it in, in many corporate settings where uh, these, these seven practices that I just named are not, you know, are not the kinds of ways of being that uh, a lot of our leaders aspire to. Having said that, I'm, uh I, I keep seeing it more and more. You know, I, I I've been you know, I, I've noticed that um uh Jeff Weiner of mm-hmm. um of LinkedIn is about to be doing a compassion, a workshop on mm-hmm. compassion in, in Silicon Valley. And I think more I think there's more and more interest in these uh aspirational practices and I think on many levels, I think people realize We're in trouble. Our planet our planet is in trouble. Our government is in trouble. Our corporations is in trouble are in trouble and and that uh, it's gonna be people I think taking and embodying these kinds of practices Mm -hmm. are might be might be the only the only way out. The only way that we're going to solve some of these real problems I think is through more more awake, more compassionate leaders.
0: And I think there's also, you know, there's the um, very classical kind of conventional sense of the leader as a single figure on the top uh-huh. of a pyramid, you know, and um, just in something you were just saying, I was reminded of uh, when I was involved through the Garrison Institute in this four-year program um, for domestic violence shelter workers, bringing the tools of yoga and meditation to them, and... um at some point we started with frontline workers and then at some point directors and supervisors of shelters asked to have a program. So we did a kind of parallel program for them and they came up with a a slogan, you know, themselves, which was they wanted to start a culture of wellness at work and for different shelters that, interestingly, like for everybody, that meant some physical space where you could just chill, you know, and for different shelters it also meant different things, like maybe rooftop garden or, or whatever. And I realized that culture could be your own body and mind. It could be your desk. It could be your team. It could be your whole shelter. Mm-hmm. And that every single person, whatever their position mm-hmm. in the organization, had the potential to affect a culture of some kind. And so maybe in that way, we all have a, a role in leadership, no matter what. Function we're playing.
1: Totally, and and that's um, you know I I use I, I sometimes uh, I hesitate to use the word mm-hmm. leadership because it seems to conjure right a certain certain idea, but I think uh, I think that everyone's a leader. And, and interesting that you should say what you just did. The, the theme of this workshop that Norman and I did just a few days ago uh, at uh, at Green Gulch was looking at each person as what, what culture are you creating? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what are your, what are your underlying attitudes and assumptions that you are bringing and, 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 what culture, what are the gaps in, in the culture that you've created and what culture do you want to create? And, and I, I think it really does. It really does start there. Uh, and that then it becomes immensely uh, interesting and and often um often complex when we then put a variety of cultures together mm-hmm. uh, what does your what what does what's the culture then of your team you know maybe it's or, or your partner even a relation, mm-hmm. any any relationship is like that right every relationship bringing how hard it is right this is why this is why intimate relationships are uh, and marriage or or any any close relationship is because you're you 're actually taking more than one culture and putting them together and then what to me is i see that 's how I see the workplace you 're putting all these different cultures mm-hmm. together and then you're asking people to to actually get stuff done right that that it, you have to actually work together, you have to collaborate on projects and, and agree on things. And, and, and those cultures, those individual cultures are being played out and you need to work with them in a way that is um, hopefully working toward kind of individual and group sense of well-being.
0: That's great. So I have one more question. And then I'm going to ask you to lead us in a short meditation Um, because when I teach meditation, um, uh, fixated on uh, the moment that we realize we've been distracted, and that that being a very important moment not to just get down on ourselves but to practice letting go and being able to begin again and so uh, I know in your book you speak about a leader's ability to embrace failure, and I think of meditation practice as a uh, learning of resilience you know it, it's it's mm-hmm, it's really mm-hmm. learning how to begin again over and over again so i wonder if you could just say something about our relationship to failure
1: yeah i i i'm um kind of reflecting on kind of in what we were talking about how right from a from an individual level right so this is um you know the third the third practice is don't be an expert mm-hmm. which in a in a way is uh, shifting our our relationship with failure. Uh and as you were saying about how, you know, I I I'm 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 come, I'm somehow imagining that you you and I are teach meditation fairly fairly there's there's more mm-hmm. similarities mm-hmm. I, I imagine than there are mm-hmm. differences. Yeah. And that part of it is um right that we're you, you know you come back again and again to your, to noticing your breath. And of course you will fail at that. Um, and then, well, what is your attitude? Can you just, can you, can you just say, Oh, um, uh, I'm, I'm, my thinking mind is, is happening. And I've, I've totally lost track of my breath and I'm going to, and this is a little bit like, I think, uh, I'll often even use Dogen's word here with, with a grandmother mind, mm-hmm. with a mind of acceptance and love, can you gently bring your attention back uh, to being, to being with the, with the breath and then taking that and expanding upon it. You know, I think, um, there's lots of, you know, um, there's lots of failure in the, in the world of work. Um, you know, there we, we, people tend to, um, Tend to avoid it, we tend to, you know, we don't. Nobody wants to fail, but there, there are there are thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of companies that fail every every year, and then there are people who are not in the right job and leave, or are or, or, or leave their job, and there are so there is just so much failure, and I think the the practice of um, shifting our relationship from whether it's uh focusing on our breath or these more more bigger more profound failures of businesses that fail or projects that fail and and it's this in some way it's this shift from a i think of it from a from a, a judgmental kind of more fixed mindset to to a mindset of uh, open-heartedness and and seeing that we we're always learning and that failure failure is just part of a part of part of the mm. game, part of part of being a human being.
0: That's great. So would you like to lead us in a short practice?
1: I would be delighted to. Um should we about about five, five minutes, minutes, is, is that a good yeah. time? Okay. Ah, well thank you. I just wanted to uh, appreciate you for a moment. Thank you for inviting me here, and thank you for the good work that you've been doing for seems like
0: many yeah. lifetimes now. Thank you so much. <laughs> so
1: let's um, let's just start by let's start by stopping. Uh, stopping, pausing is such a great practice. Noticing the transition from listening whatever you may have been doing to stopping. What is it like to stop? What is it like to bring your attention uh, to the body, to the breath? Again, a kind of uh, checking in, tuning in, noticing your shoulders and chest and face and neck, just really being being in the body, starting with the body, making conscious choices about placing the hands and feet. Maybe sitting up sitting up just a little straighter if, if that's comfortable. Putting some energy energy in the spine, energy in the upper back. Feeling the sense of alertness, awakeness, uh, sitting, sitting perhaps like a majestic mountain, a feeling of dignity in the body. And at the same time, being uh, relaxed, comfortable. Uh, that alone, just a great practice being uh, relaxed and, and alert. And then gently i invite invite you to bring your attention to the breath, uh, noticing that breathing is happening without us having to do anything. Uh, just gently noticing that breathing in and breathing out. And even bringing a sense of curiosity, uh, knowing, noticing that this, this breath is actually new and fresh. This breath right now uh, has never happened before, won't ever happen again. So bringing a kind of uh, attention, curiosity. even some kindness uh, to the breath, to the body uh, without trying to change anything, just noticing. And you might be curious, bring that curiosity to your thinking mind as well, noticing whether you're mind is busy or calm and whatever it is just noticing and gently seeing if you can bring your attention back uh, to the breath uh, to the body Uh, so just cultivating cultivating this sense of right now there's nothing nothing lacking Nothing extra is needed. Just breathing in and breathing out. Can you feel your own sense of safety, appreciation, and connection? Can you feel there's no separateness between us right now? And keeping it simple, uh, just noticing the in-breath and out-breath, noticing what it's like uh, to be alive, to be here right now. And then let's uh, gently bring our attention back to being here uh, here with each other. And thank you very much for your
0: attention. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you all for joining us today. <laughs>
1: really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to the next time that we can
0: meet. Um, maybe
1: even. That in would person. be so
0: great. <laughs> <And> maybe <laughs> not even at <laughs> a large conference, that. which it usually is.
1: That would be lovely. Yeah.
0: Great. So if you would like to learn more about Mark, you can visit his website at www.marklesser.net. And I encourage you to check out his new book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, which is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats wherever books are sold. Thank you. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalzberg.com.